Our scripture reading for today is from Philippians 4, 8 to 9. Philippians 4, 8 to 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God. Lord, thank you for this time we can gather before your word, and we ask that you bless it, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Lord, we need your word. We need it alive in our hearts. Give us listening ears and willing hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. An airplane, when it uh, flies, they, the word it uses for its sort of angle or its kind of, um, I don't know what you want to call it, the, its orientation in the air relative to the horizon or relative to the ground is called its attitude. And I always think that's a pretty funny word for it because I wonder if planes ever have bad attitudes. <laughs> and uh, and it, it made me wonder uh, also, is there any connection between these words? You know, the attitude of a plane and what we come, you know, as an attitude of our minds. And it turns out there is. But in that they have a common source. The word attitude actually uh, is an art criticism word. And it's, it's a technical term in art criticism, meaning the disposition of a figure in a painting. So you think about a painting, and there's a figure in it. How is that figure sort of oriented within that painting? is called it the attitude. And so I think when in airplanes, they thought, well, that's a good way of describing when a plane is in the air, you know, relative to the ground, it's its attitude. And then it became later, and the people thought, that's a nice metaphor for what happens up here in our minds. You know, in some ways, what's the disposition of our thoughts and our mind in our head? That's our attitude. And I thought... It's kind of similar, isn't it, in some ways, how critical a plane's attitude is as to how it flies, and especially if it wants to land, and how it lands, its attitude is utterly critical, or it makes for a very rough landing. And I thought in the same way, the attitude of our mind, the disposition of our minds as we fly through life, as we are confronted with the different places we need to land in our life. You know, how am I going to encounter this thing that's happening to me? Often has to, a huge amount about how that landing happens has to do with the attitude of our minds. As we continue and actually finish up our study in Philippians called The Pursuit of Joy, Paul sort of sums up and gives these final, you know, two exhortations. And the first one is just this, to basically... Be aware of the disposition of your mind. You know, of, your, of where is your mind as you're flying? And he says actually two things critically. He goes about the disposition of your mind and being very functional about putting into practice the things you've heard. And he says if you do these things, he's not, he's not exhorting us to do it because, you know, to feel almost like this weighty responsibility and this guilt if we don't. 
But he's saying, if you want to really experience what this whole life of faith is about and really start to live this new life with God, this life that's able to take joy and pull it down and live it despite whatever happens to you, you need to do these things to really experience that new life. So we want to talk about that this morning, this final call out of Philippians to this new life. And these two key elements Paul finally exhorts us to have. So to, uh, to go into context here, if you remember in Philippians 4, it's sort of this wonderful last passage charge you know, to us, these number of things. First, it starts with, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And it's this idea of, um, you know, it's not a, this rejoicing is not a feeling happy. It's not a hoping the circumstances of your life will be such a way that will make you feel good. It's a, um, as Karl Barr said, a nevertheless. It's actually a defiant rejoicing. It's a rejoicing in spite of whatever circumstances are happening to you. It's a pulling down the true and real joy that is the reality of your situation and pulling it down into that moment. And he says, rejoice always no matter the circumstances. And then he goes on, as we've talked about last week, is there's naturally all these things that get in the way of that, all these things you're anxious about, same word as worry, all those anxious and worried, and he said, all that stuff, take that, every bit of it, every one of the things, every single thing, and bring it to God. Prayer, petition, thanksgiving, requests. And the idea is you almost stop in this crazy moment that all this stuff that happens here in the world in front of you, you suddenly go, no, no, God is there. It's almost like you step into this spiritual reality, offer these things to God, and this amazing thing happens, this peace which transcends all understanding, transcends your minds, that's beyond it, will be a fortress, will be a garrison, will guard your heart and your mind, the peace of God. In some ways, that's such a, almost a hard thing to even grasp, right? It's a surreal, it's a, there's this transcendent thing. Now, what he goes to now is something that's utterly, in some ways, non-transcendent. He gets highly practical into what you're actually doing. And that's when he turns to our minds, and where is our mind at? He says, finally, brothers and sisters... And so he's just literally this last charge as he's bringing together uh, the book of this letter. And brothers and sisters, you know, we, we hear these phrases a lot, but the familial references should be really stunning to us. We should feel that love and that care. This, this exhortation going, come on. And then he says, come on, guys, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything... It's excellent. Our praise for you. Think about these things. Let your mind account for them. Now, when you're looking at things like this in this big list, you might be thinking, what, what, what do these different words really mean? And, you're, and this is a good lesson just in Bible study oftentimes, because you may think, gosh, I, I, I'd love to know a little bit more about those words, but I don't know Greek, and what do I do about that? It's actually very easy. And I, should, I just put this as a, your toolbox you know, for your own Bible reading. If you're trying to figure out, what, how do I know a little bit more about these words? Simplest way in the book is just to look up some different translations. And you'll just be able to get a better orb. Like, for instance, if you took these six words and just um, 
It's actually eight words. It's six and then a two coming up. But in any case, I can't count, but I can look up. Um, <clears throat> you know, these words, and I, I looked at you know, NIV, which is our, we use here a lot, which is a really solid translation. King James, which gives you a sense of how it was historically. ESV, for instance, is a nice one. It's a very literal, and so it's a very accurate translation. The English is not always so flowing. Uh, Net Bible's a little more paraphrasy. You know, it says different ways. And for instance, you'll get true, you're like, okay, true, 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 true. That actually tells you something in itself. You know, that go, oh, okay, that's a really, uh, you know, that's a very uh, simple word. That's what it's getting at. Noble. Though noble, at first you're like, what does that mean exactly? Then it goes, oh, honorable. Honest. Worthy of respect. Oh, okay. Wow, I actually have a better idea of what it was getting at than when I just read noble. Right. That seems like kind of funny. Whatever is right. Oh, what's, oh, just. Righteousness, justice, same kind of idea, but it gives a different kind of feel to it. Pure. That's really what it's at, pure. Everyone says, yes, that really captures this word, lovely. Admirable, well, that one's commendable, of good report. That kind of gives me a better idea of what's going on. And then the third one, then it says, if anything at all is excellent, right? And actually, the ESV is very helpful there when it says any virtue, because the word excellent there is really getting at the idea of the virtues, so it's actually really helpful that you have that little thing flown in there. If anything is virtuous in some ways, of, you know, in that terms of excellence, and anything is praiseworthy. So this is not, anyway, this, unfortunately I've done this for this passage, and I'm going to tell you it's not very important for this passage. Sorry about that. But an interesting thing to learn for your little Bible, you know, put in your little Bible toolbox right there. The reason it's not so important is I don't think it's trying to say, um, okay, guys, look for things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, and try to pluck those things out and put those in your mind and test whether they are. I think it's sort of like, guys, you get the idea. You know, it's all, this is the kind of stuff you should be thinking about. I mean, the very idea of the idea, whatever is true, whatever, whatever, if anything is virtuous, anything worthy of praise, think about that stuff. That is that you, you, you kind of know when you are and you know when you're not. The idea is this is not that mysterious. You know, if you look at these things, you're like, gosh, I don't know if that's noble or not. You're supposed to be able to know what this he's talking about here. All right, that's, that's part of the idea. And what's the big idea here is that, guys, we need to be policing our minds. That's essentially what the thing is, Right? Your, your mind, sometimes we think just whatever thoughts we have just happen to us and we can't do a darn thing about it. And he's saying, no, you actually have a lot more control than you think about where your mind is. And it's not about feeling guilty about it, but it's about starting to take hold of that thing and being a little more disciplined in your mind. You know, I, I saw an interesting list that was kind of a counter list to this. They said, when you watch the news and internet, it says what you usually get is untrue, unholy, ugly, ill repute, vicious, and blameworthy. You know, and I think sometimes that's the stuff that's flying at your mind. I mean, 2,000 years ago, this was a problem of what's going on in your mind. You can tell today it is all the more you are bombarded, utterly bombarded with stuff. But I was thinking, you know, some of the things that bother us aren't even this ugly, untrue, unholy. It's just plain. There's just too much stuff happening in our lives. And we feel just bombarded by stuff, bombarded by caring and worry. And just there's just so much things going on. 
and there's a perpetual sense of kind of failing at everything. I think one of the problems are when we all try to do 50 things, we, all, we feel like levels of failure with everything. You know, I think it's actually one of the hard things sometimes about parenting. I think sometimes when you're in the work world, you can feel like you're succeeding at something, you check it off. And in parenting, you never check off. It's like, I didn't fail. Tomorrow I will. You know, or it's like levels of failure and everything. You know, the parenting, it's smooth. That worked, I guess, you know. Um, but it's more than just that. I mean, you have all this stuff kind of assaulting your mind. You know, and, um, and that's where it's located. And I think of, you know, one of the ways that it's trying to get at you is with all the craziness and all the, 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 if it's the guilt, the condemnation, the anger, the judgment, the stress, all the stuff that's flowing through your head. He's saying, think about that stuff which is excellent and praiseworthy. Pull all that craziness into, into a way which you can connect with God, which you can live out that life. And it's not that, it's not like when you're at work and you're going, um, I'm only supposed to think about these, these little categories over here. What about the work I need to do? It's not so much the subject of your work. Do you see that? It could be whatever that project is before you. It's as if it goes into your mind and it's a plane flying. And what's the disposition of that project in your mind? It could be fearful, it can be anxious, it can be angry, or it can be praiseworthy and excellent and noble and lovely and beautiful. And it can be flying in your mind in a different way. And so I think what he's saying is like, what happens in your mind is so critical. And does anyone doubt this? I don't know, but where my mind is at, man, that comes out my mouth, that comes out my actions, and my ability to connect with God. To feel that peace. I mean, we know our mind is so critical. So police our minds. Work to get from that scramble of stuff <laughs> to where it needs to be. And part of that is the thing before, right? Don't be anxious or worry about everything. Everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. But just all that stuff. Focusing your mind on that which is praiseworthy. That which is virtuous. I mean, it's funny. I was talking. I had people in the prayer room, uh, in the prayer room before services, pray for me because I realized as I'm preaching about this and working on the sermon this morning, something got into my head that I couldn't get out. And I'm like, this is not praiseworthy. This is not excellent. It's something I have to deal with. But it had a hook in my mind that I knew was not good. And I was like, I'm going to try to give it to God and even have them come alongside to unhook that thing from my mind. It's always ironic that it happens right when you're going to preach on the subject. I hate when I preach on suffering. Um, so this is the first big element on policing your mind. But the second, um, so the second big piece is he says, now, if the first thing is policing your mind, the second piece is whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And this is the idea of doing this stuff, putting it into action. And, and you realize there's nothing here about learning more stuff. It's about putting into practice what you have learned. And there's four words, or what you've learned, what you've received, what you've heard or seen in me. Put it into practice. It's a very, you know, it's amazing. Somebody think, well, I can't do all this additional stuff. Just do the stuff you've already know. And the capacity to hear and not do. To see, believe, receive, and not put into practice. Am I the only one who has that issue? No. 
He says, just keep, just do it. And, and I love some of these, some of these other passages, I think, kind of give some element as he's saying, because at first I think, it's what he's seen in me? What's he mean by that? Um, in 1 Thessalonians, it says, uh, Paul says, we also thank God continually because when you received, right, that's one of these words, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So you heard this word over here, but you received it realizing it's not just this man speaking. This is the word of God, and I receive it and know that God can actually work inside of me through that word. He says to the Corinthian church, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached you, which you received. You received this amazing word, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if, you hold form, firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Again, this capacity to hear it, receive it, and uh, ignore it. Otherwise, you, uh, for what I, re- what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And so you even have the, the word of God in the Scriptures being communicated by a person. And Paul's even saying, I'm passing on to you what I received. So it went from this person into Paul, who Paul is passing on. And what's the idea? You then pass on as well. Right? You, you're continuing to pass this thing on. That's how the message is transmitted. So he says, what you have, what you have learned or received or heard from me. So you've learned all these things. You've received this as the word of God. You've received the gospel of your salvation. You've heard, uh, heard that word and what you've seen, because you actually see people practice it. Right? There's, you ever wonder, like, how do I pray? How do I do all these things? It's because you see other people in your community. You live with them. You see, this is how this life lived out. Take that and put it into practice. Put it into practice, those things. And you might say, well, what does that mean practically? What, what, put, put what into practice Exactly. And I was just thinking, what are all the different things we've read about in Philippians as we went through this? So many things we need to put into practice. And again, what I'll see about this list, too, as we walk through Philippians, it's not a whole bunch of additional things. Like, I'm too busy to put this in. This is all stuff you could do. Um, I thought, you know, one thing, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Can you do that? Can you be confident of that? You know, in a prayer of Paul, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Great phrase about love, right? You love, but with knowledge, depth of insight. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness. He said, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens. First priority, live in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Conduct yourself, whatever's going on, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Stand firm in one spirit with others. Contend together as one person for the faith without being frightened by those who oppose you. 
He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Remember who in the very being God lowered himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. That humility. He tells us to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Let God do his work in you. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Pure again, that word. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Remember, you receive the word of life, you take it, and now you hold it out in the midst of it like stars. And he tells us to press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Press on to that. As we read, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Just put it into practice. Do this stuff. You know, we hear it, but it's amazing. We can hear all this stuff. We can even believe it. We can even receive it and not actually do it. Isn't that true? Put it into practice. And here's the amazing promise. When you put it into practice, it says, the God of peace will be with you. Very interesting phrase. And the idea of the God of peace here is not like peace being, um, you'll have a peaceful feeling. Peace has this, you know, enormous um, importance in Scripture. In some ways, peace is the fulfillment of all things. When he brings peace on the earth. You know, when brings peace between people. Peace is what broke when the fall happened. You know, when, when, when man broke from God, that peace they had, the wholeness together was broken. The between, peace between the husband and wife broke apart. And there's no peace on earth. And, says, and the, ultimately, that's the peace that God's going to bring, that he brings that he, when, through Jesus' death on the cross, he reconciles us and brings peace between God and man. And this idea that God is with you, right? This is this promise throughout the scriptures. And so there's a sense that when you do these things, this God of peace is actually dwelling with you. You're taking hold of that ultimate eternity, right? And bringing it into that present moment. And that's what our faith is. That's what he's called us out of. That's the promise he's given us. He's the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. He's given us everything we need that we don't, we're not reliant on circumstances changes. We don't, need the, we don't need to have our life change on the outside to be walking with God on the inside. Now, oftentimes you think the key to my peace is all these circumstances in life change. They don't. I mean, he's talking often people who did not have much social mobility. There were lots of suffering and difficulty and hardship, and he's saying God of peace can be with you right now through it. And what's he saying? How does that happen? 
It's with your mind and putting to practice. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Where's your mind? What's the disposition of your mind? All the things that are happening in your life, how is it flying through there? And put in the practice the stuff you know already. You've learned, you've received, you've heard it, you've seen it. Do it. And the God of peace will be with you. That's the promise. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. In quiet, um, let's just ask the Lord as well. Lord, if there, maybe as we've been speaking, you've been thinking about some of the areas that um, you frankly need to repent on. Repent's a funny word, but it's actually a beautiful word, which simply means to turn, to change direction. On. Have you been having trouble with what's going on in your mind? Have you not been policing your mind as you should? Have you been dwelling and letting things hook in there that have no place there. Turn it to the Lord. Confess it and ask him to help, Lord, and say, Lord, I want to have my mind on what is excellent or praiseworthy. Lord, begin to help me know how to change this, to be better at policing my mind. Are there things you've learned or received you know but you're not putting into practice? Confess it to the Lord. Repent. Turn to him saying, Lord, I want to put this into practice now. Oh, Lord, thank you that you do know us, that our lives are not a mystery to you, that you aren't angry at us. Lord, thank you that you look at us as your children, you're calling on us to live that life of joy you have for us, Lord, to help us to pursue that joy, the joy you lay out for us, the joy you make available to us, the peace, Lord, which we don't even take you up on so often. Oh, Lord, let us believe that that peace can guard our heart and mind in any circumstance. And, Lord, that we can be people who hold out the word of life for others. Help us to believe that and to hold it out in our hands to all that are around us. Be people of humility who consider others all around us better than ourselves. To know that we are loved and we love others, Lord, to press on to the goal, to take hold of that which you have taken hold of us for. Oh, Lord, thank you, Father, that you do abundantly more than ever we ask or even imagine. That there is a power at work within us that raised Jesus from the dead that truly we can do all things through him who gives us strength. Bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.